Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.NET. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. Sean. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? I I don't know. Why don't you tell me what you're thinking? I'll tell you if I know what you're thinking. I'm going to do some reverse psychology. (laughs) I'm thinking what you're thinking I'm thinking. (laughs) You're trying to trick me. I am trying to trick you. You're not doing that with tech. But in the chaos, you, you, you probably forget about what I'm thinking. You start thinking about what you're thinking I'm thinking. I don't even know why we're here. I'm thinking really. I don't know why we're here to start with. So <laughs> you're gonna have to tell me. My brain's fried already thinking about thinking about stuff. Now this is a this is a conversation I'm really intrigued to have. Uh, it's about the psychology of cybersecurity, and as you can guess, uh, what are we thinking about when we think of cybersecurity? Or are we thinking? Maybe that's another question. Altogether. Well, that, that's that's a good question to start because it seems to me that until a little. Not too long ago, a lot of people thought that cybersecurity was just technology. There is that button, there is those blinking lights, and the humans have nothing to do with that. And psychology, I'm pretty sure, is about the humans. It is about the humans. And uh, the way we generally think, and this may upset some people, is we think what the vendors tell us we need to think about. Uh That may help a lot, but not always. (laughs) Uh, there, there's a whole other side of the coin, the, the cyber criminals and that whole market, and they think a certain way. So let, let be, let's get into it, Marco. This is, a, this is a topic that our guest is talking about, Morgan Wright. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show. Hey, guys. I appreciate it. If the pre-call is in the indicator, we're going to have some fun here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nothing is scripted and pros- possibly very little edited. So let's try to to get it smooth. <laughs> now we we are excited about this. We are excited because again the 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 title of your presentation 
is already intriguing me quite a bit. But before we go into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, that we dive into? Sure, sure. Um, so for the next 30 minutes, sit back, relax. This is your captain. No, um, no, no. Look, currently I'm chief security advisor at Sentinel One, and that's the last time we'll talk about that. I'm also a senior fellow at the Center for Digital Government here in the United States. Uh, we're a research and advisory group. But my prior life, I started off in law enforcement, uh, 18 years as a state trooper, detective, specializing in originally uh, serial crime profiling, interview and interrogation behavior analysis. Then I got into computer crime investigations, believe it or not, because the two are actually quite interrelated. And then I moved out to Virginia from Kansas, where I was at. And a lot of my work was in the intelligence and justice community. So prior to 9-11, I was in uh, Bogota, Colombia, working on Plum Columbia, counter-narcotics, helping them develop big technology solutions to big problems they had with tracking assets of narco-traffickers, deriving intelligence out of those things. Then obviously 9-11 hit, then post 9-11, it was about uh, terrorism and you know how do we build systems to uh, identify threats quicker, faster, better. Uh, one of my big projects was at the Department of Justice on information sharing. So in the United States, we got a lot of law enforcement agencies, 18,000 federal, tribal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. How do you get them to share information between each other. So that was more of a psychology issue than it was a technology issue. Not, not at all, you know. And then, um, but from an industry standpoint, I've been uh, uh, at uh, some big defense contractors, but then some companies you guys might know. For uh, eight years, I was the global industry solution manager for Cisco. I ran all their public safety, homeland security development. And then uh, I was an executive at Alcatel Lucent. Bell Labs, we built all the public safety stuff that's actually being used, you know, a lot of places. And uh, But hey, as a side gig, I was a senior advisor in the U.S. State Department Anti-Terrorism Assistance Program, went to fabulous places like Pakistan and Turkey and the Middle East, you know, lovely places to go on vacation at. And But as a side-side thing, I was actually a technical advisor to the show America's Most Wanted with John Walsh for a year and a half, helping them build solutions to address issues of how to share uh, lead, tip and lead information. So I say all of that to say this is that I, ha I can't hold down a job and I have occupational uh, ADD. So, you know, here I am. <laughs> no, I think uh, the, the, the common thread here seems to be we have stuff that we can consume, information we can consume. Are we doing it and how are we ingesting it? And what I want to get to is kind of that point on cybersecurity. Where, where's the information coming from? And does the source change the way we think about the information? And does our role, based on how we're trained and, and mentored, uh, skew how we think about the information as we're digesting? Oh, you know, absolutely. There's a great slide I use in some law enforcement training I used to do. But have you ever heard about the, uh, the apes in the cage? You know, so what they did is they put a bunch of apes in the cage and they put a ladder there with a banana at the top. And when one started to climb up the ladder, they'd hit it with the hose. So to shorten the story, but pretty much over time, nobody climbed up the ladder because to do it, you would get hit with the hose. But nobody knew that by the eighth generation of gorillas because that's the way it was always that's the way it always was. Right. So we have a lot of processes in place because we don't know where they came from because that's the way it always was. So the problem isn't the problem. The problem is how we think about the problem and the way our adversaries think about the problem is not the same way we think about the problem. And the example I used is if you want to stop bank robberies, you don't go to tellers, you go to bank robbers. You know, if you want to stop hacking, you sometimes you just don't go to the people who are hacked. They're the victims. You want to get in the mind of the people who did this. And to your point, where does the information come from? A lot of times I think 
we accept as gospel where information comes from as opposed to question everything, question proverbial wisdom, conventional wisdom, I should say, proverbial common sense. Um, here's, a, here's a quick example why you should question stuff. Why are the solid rocket boosters for the space shuttle the size that they are? And everybody goes, well, so they can fit through train tunnels. Well, no. Why are train tunnels the size they are? And it all goes back to Roman chariots. Roman chariots were two horses wide. And from that point on, if you look at railroad tracks, how wide are railroad tracks to this day? Two horses wide. That's the way. If so, you know, a lady was talking about her grandmother had a recipe. She would make meatloaf and then she'd cut off all four sides of it. And that's so they always did that. They say, well, finally, somebody said, why do we do that? Went back and asked her grandma. She said, well, you silly kids. My pan was that wasn't that big. I had to cut off the sides to make it fit in the pan, you know. So we, we do so many things now because that's the way we've always been told. And I'm not saying in a negative way, question authority and question, you know, the way it was done. I'm saying in a very constructive way, say, we need to really think about this. How come we keep doing it this way? And I'll give you a quick example, Sean. Where does, where, for the longest time, how many days was it considered acceptable for software to be in the sandbox before we moved it into the production environment? Two to three days, three days. Yeah. You know, that was kind of like, that was because that was an industry standard, right? That was acceptable. Three days, and if nothing happens in three days. So what does SolarWinds teach us? That the Russian uh, military intelligence, which is GRU, by the way, one of the longest standing military intelligence organizations in the world. The Russians have been at this intelligence game since 1917 and the creation of the V-Cheka um, and several in instances of, you know, how they think about things. They just simply looked at it and said, look, what if we just wait 10 days or 12 days? Then what will happen, we'll be assured that we're in the production environment. So they got into the SolarWinds update server. By the way, what does everybody pretty much trust implicitly? We get updates from Microsoft. We get updates from Apple. How many people have the capability to reverse engineer those and decompile those and analyze those for malware and for flaws and for backdoors? We accept that an update that comes from a company is what it purports to be. So they used what we believed, which is an un... Uh, a unverified trust in something that we should have never trusted. And then they exploited the way we thought about the problem because we got the information from the company to say, hey, here's your update because we signed it. It's signed with the cryptographic signature. And then if you put it into your production environment for three days, and then many people who build products in this area, their telemetry data wouldn't go back, you know, would go back, you know, maybe a week or 10 days. And so sometimes it would fall off the radar. So again, kind of bringing that all back together is, our biggest problem isn't the problem. Our biggest problem is the way we think about the problem. And we constantly get caught with our shorts down, which is what the Iranians just did. Uh, one of the Iranian groups uh, tied to some very sophisticated hacking was using Dropbox as their vector to get in because most networks don't look at Dropbox as being malicious. So they hid the exfiltration of hundreds of gigabytes of data through Dropbox. So again, it's not how we think about the problem. And guess what they did? They used something we had an unverified trust in, or it should have been vetted a little bit more uh, in Dropbox to exfiltrate data. So there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I had seven or eight questions as you were going, and then I keep changing it because you just said something that made me think in a different way. But to be honest. That's the, the problem end, with this I, whole thing, in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> It is the problem, and I think it is the solution, which is being able to change instead of get stuck mm -hmm. into the usual way we think. Because as you, as you said, the, the cyber criminal 
and or the criminal. I mean, all your experience that mm -hmm. you have are for crim a criminal is a criminal. So that's, that's to get that right. You, it depends on the tools that you use that may qualify you to work in a specific a criminal in a specific field or not. But the bottom line is that there is always that outsmarting or thinking outside the box. How do I rob the bank, right? You were making that joke before, right? How do you rob the bank? Given what you know, is there a, a flaw in the system? And so I'm going to use why, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to share information. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, you put a you put like a, something to cut the bar in there. <laughs> well, no. Guess what? A peanut butter and jelly sandwich was just used by somebody arrested for mm -hmm. espionage here I in my area yep. to hide a data card inside there exactly. and pass it off to an FBI agent. Guess what? They use psychology against the guy. He thought he was actually selling it to the bad guys. Mm -hmm. He was selling it to the good guys, acting as bad guys. Yep. And he didn't like strawberry peanut butter or uh, strawberry jelly. Sorry. Tell you what, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a flaw in tradecraft if you use it. Peanut butter, it can only be peanut butter and grape jelly. No, no strawberry. PBJs are grape jelly, period. End of story, full stop. <laughs> well, you know, here's another proof that you got to think outside the box. You got to get creative. But my question, and I think is the core of your presentation, is why are we only now thinking that way? Why psychology now is so much more relevant than technology. I mean, you need both, no questions about it. But why have we believed, and Sean says is the vendor, but <laughs> that technology would just stop everything without the need to think uh, with a brain, with a human brain? You know, that's a good question. I think it all goes back to what people perceive the problem is, and they perceive the problem to be ones and zeros. Uh, and right. the ones and zeros aren't the problem. It's there's hardware, software, and wetware. It's really the wetware, what we used to call the carbon face, carbon-based life forms, you know, behind the keyboard. Or as we, you maybe heard that saying called PEBGAC, problem exists between keyboard and chair. That's the problem, right? So to go back to your point, Marco, I think because it's easier to sell something somebody can see. Hey, I can install this, I can see it do stuff. It's very hard. It's kind of like awareness training, you're right? Which is kind of an issue of psychology. You know, you teach people don't fall for these links, don't click on this. You can do some measurement, but it's very hard because it's not something I can see. I can show you a bill, you know, a, a statement of work. I can show you uh, a bill of materials. I can show you a software list or whatever it is. You know, you're buying a hardware. You buy. It's easy for them to see because the other thing too is the problem is defined by people like the CISO or the CIO. So they say, this is our problem as opposed to, now on the other hand, I don't I don't agree that you need to let lawyers entirely define the problem too, because if you let corporate uh, legal define the problem, they would make the solution so expensive because they would want to mitigate against every possible, every known risk. So I used to tell, I used to call the legal department, the you know sales prevention department, because th they would try and throw up so much stuff. But my point was at some point, uh, and this gets back to what you're saying, Mark. You have to make a balance between what what do I need from this side, from the technology side, but what do I need from the people side? And I'll tell you what makes the technology side more effective is if I have people on the people side thinking about the problem differently. And you know, who used to think differently? I was my daughter is getting ready to do presentations for a company she works at. She gets to be on stage with 300 people, and I just simply asked her. I said, "Look, who was one of the best technology presenters? You know, tech execs we ever had, and it was Steve Jobs. Um, you know, and." He did his presentations differently. He thought differently about the problem. Nobody knew we needed an iPhone until we needed an iPhone. And now, how much is voice even relevant with carriers anymore? AT&T and Verizon, landlines? 
Are you? They're in the entertainment business. They buy Comcast and they buy Dish Network and they buy. They're everything now is about data and content. So to kind of go back to that, we we have come full circle to the point of where we start realizing it. You can do a lot of awareness training, but let me tell you, people are a poor line of defense. People are a poor first line of defense. Look, even with the military, um, you're seeing now the use of automation, what they call lethal autonomous weapon systems. They're using uh, AI to fly jets now, to fly drones. They now have drones that can actually swarm and attack based upon independent collective thinking that the swarm does to say this is an identified threat. So we're replacing humans. So it goes back to we've taken humans out of the loop for too long and said it should all be about technology. But what we've missed is the human factor of that, which is what uh, SolarWinds exploited. It's what we exploited with um, the largest uh, black energy attack um, ever launched, which was the first one, which was by Russia uh, against Ukraine. They took out 750,000 homes, three power stations, two substations. I mean, it's all about how they thought about the problem. And so full circle on that, Marco, some of the best cyber criminals, and I, I don't mean that from a, a a nice way, I mean, just, but the ones who are very good, a lot of them have their roots in state, uh, as state actors in intelligence out of China, out of Russia, out of Iran, out of places like that. Why? Because they understand how to use psychology and they understand how people think to be able to create these opportunities for them to create now software that exploits the way we think about the problem. And so it's hard to measure. And that final thought is it's hard to measure. How do you measure the effectiveness of a psychology, you know, awareness program? But I think the companies who build solutions have got to really start bringing in people to say it's, it's advanced red teaming or however you want to call it. Um, last thought here. I'm sorry. I say last thought and then I lied. Last thought. There's a group out there. Everybody's heard of Spetsnet out of Russia. You know, they think, oh, these guys are, you know, badass, you know, operators and stuff. Actually, there's a group that's actually more badass than Spetsnet, and it's called Vimpel, V-Y-M-P-E-L, Alpha Group in Vimpel. They use these guys to do red teaming on nuclear sites. And so you have the best and the brightest of the Russian military going, hey, we've designed all of these defenses. And guess what? Vimpel Group came in in 15 minutes. Inside, inside where they store nuclear weapons. 15 minutes is how long it took for these guys because they spent a lot of time watching, observing, looking at the problem. And guess who else does that? Prisoners. Why do people break out of supposedly, you know, escape-proof prisons? Because they have time to think about the problem. <laughs> well, a quick comment before I, I know Sean always have a, a question, so um, I know he's ready, but technology... We think technology is just rain from the sky. Technology made technology itself. We never think about the fact that when you decide to develop some technology, either if it's a tool, a hammer, because you need to do something and you use your brain <laughs> to resolve the problem. You could have gone a million different directions. But my point is our technology is made because of our psychology. So if you don't understand that, you're not understanding anything. Oh, yeah. Og the caveman, when he first picked up a stick or a bone and used it as a hammer to beat his neighbor with, you know, what it, the, one of the first crimes probably. Again, yeah, it goes back to, but I think it, to your point too, Marco, about artificial intelligence. Why is there bias in AI? AI, AI is 100%. I mean, it works exactly the way you intend it to. The point about it is we unconsciously program certain biases in. And we don't realize is that if I'm a Caucasian programmer, I'm looking at things from a Caucasian point of view. 
And this actually happened with the facial recognition program. I can't disclose to you where it happened because it might involve national security. And we just talked about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. But um, but they, they they said, no, this is full profit. It works. It works. And all I should say, let me put it this way. Ten Asian people did was simply switch passports and all ten got through the, quote, foolproof facial recognition system. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm going to connect all this together with controls. Um, it's very when we get into security operations, it, it seems very tactical for me, uh, outside looking in anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's there's this weakness or vulnerability. Let's block with a control. We may be a little more strategic with here's a policy and a process that kind of wraps multiple controls together, but it still comes back to a control. So my, my question to you, Morgan, is where where is the thinking breaking down? Is it not happening in the right place, not happening with the right people? Is it not, uh, I don't know, is, where, where's the breakdown in, in the way that we're thinking about this problem? I think the breakdown starts in the hiring process when we bring people on, you know, quite frankly, because do we teach people from the moment they're hired as to, here's what we have, but we encourage you to look at it and say, is it the right thing? Is it the best thing that we should be doing? You know, to your point, controls, controls are band-aids. Controls, I have a problem, slap a band-aid on it, right? Well, that doesn't solve the bigger problem. It's like saying, well, we have a forest fire problem. Well, let's run out and put out every forest fire instead of sitting back and going, who's talking about fire prevention or who's talking about clearing out brush and who's talking about doing all the activities that are not sexy, that are time consuming so that we don't have to fight this fire later. Um, and, and give you an example related to that is one of the big projects I did. I was a sand down at the Department of Justice. We were trying to figure out how to share information with 18,000 federal, tribal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. And everybody kept saying, it's too complex. You know, we, how are we going to figure out all the things that we can share? And I finally said, I didn't say you idiots because I was being respectful under my breath. I might, I said, but, but here's the problem. None of those people that I was talking to in the room had been out in the field for at least 10 or 15 years and actually put handcuffs on anybody. So they had this hubris to think that I know what's best because I'm an executive and I'm at this level and I know what's best for us, whether it's on the technology side or the uh, you know policy side or the uh, business side. And I simply said, you guys are looking at the problem wrong. It's not what information you can share. It's what information can you not share? And it was easy. What we did is we took the whole universe and boiled it down to there are eight things you cannot share. Sources and methods, uh, you know, personnel investigations, et cetera. There's eight things. Outside of those eight things, if it does not fall in one of these clearly defined eight buckets, you share. You know, it, it makes it very simple. They were trying to, I think what we do, Sean, is we overcomplicate the problem. That's where the breakdown is. And uh, you know, the other thing too, some of the best inventions came from people on long walks. Some of the breakthroughs came from pe- DNA. A couple of DNA things came from two scientists walking and getting outside the environment. But take a look at today's schedule. The breakdown is everybody thinks it's a badge of honor to have a fully jammed schedule from morning till night. I've got meetings. I've got this. Well, let me ask you, when are people sitting back just simply staring off into space doing absolutely nothing and thinking about the problem? Ask Mark Benioff of Salesforce. Where did he get his epiphany? It was swimming with dolphins. Mm-hmm. Ask the guy from Sony, how did he create the Sony Walkman? He was walking around looking at all the he was walking around looking at all the Japanese kids holding these huge boom boxes or stuff because they had no way to make stuff portable, right? So I think the biggest breakdown comes from the fact is that we don't encourage staring off into space, that we don't encourage goofing off in a sense. Um, you know, that we don't encourage, we don't take that time to say, go think, you know, spend, I don't know, spend 
two hours a week at a minimum, just clear your calendar and do nothing but sit back and do absolutely nothing and think about what's the big problem we got to solve. I think that's part of the big breakdown is that we have become too focused on how much efficiency can we extract out of people to the point of how much are we facilitating them to use their brain and think differently about the problem. And I'll tell one of the things I used to do with my folks, especially at Alcatel Lucent Bell Labs, go to a conference that has absolutely nothing to do with what you, what you uh, work on. I don't care if it's knitting or crocheting or curling or which I know is big in Canada, eh? You know, that and <laughs> poutine. <laughs> go to a poutine conference. I don't care. Just go do something that is not within your normal bailiwick and think differently. I, I don't want to use, overuse Steve Jobs, but that kind of, but, you know, but think differently about the problem and say, instead of saying, you know, start going, well, what if we did it this way? So I think, I, you know, again, come back full circle. I think the biggest problem is from the hiring process, we don't teach people to be independent thinkers, to cr think critically about the solution anymore. Except, ex instead, we expect them to be corporate drones and, hey, well, you know, this is the policy and these are the controls. If that was the case, you know, um, it, like the old saying is, if you keep doing what you've always done, you keep getting what you've always got. And what we've always, what we've got now is an increase in everything from ransomware to breaches to attacks. So if all of this money and all of the stuff we're doing is so good, why are things getting worse? And, you know, a lot of people in cybersecurity, they, they say, think like the adversary, and, and which is what you said at the beginning. When you're investigating something, serial killer, uh, any kind of crime, you have to get in the head of the person that is perpetrating the, the crime. What motivate them and, and how do they think different from you? And you mentioned Steve Jobs, um, Think Different was one of his headlines. So that's uh, you know, <laughs> nothing to uh, hide there, right? Now, there's many other people, as you mentioned, that think outside the box. And those are usually the ones that really revolutionize their space. And I'm space, I use that word on purpose. So in your presentation, you actually go with, uh, with Elon, Elon Musk, Musk. Which, which is definitely another person that think outside the box. And I was curious uh, what the reference is with cybersecurity and all of that. And I see you. So it starts with this. So and have this, you guys seen this exercise? Is what? It's, this is an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper turned landscape with nine dots on it arranged equidistantly because I have OCD. Um, by the way, what's CDO? That's OCD in order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just keeping you. So I used to teach people, especially from an investigative standpoint or an intelligence analysis, you have nine dots on the page arranged like a square, you know, three rows of three. Connect all nine dots with just four lines and do not lift your pen off the paper. And invariably, what do they do? They stay within the lines. They stay within the box. Even though I told them this is a thinking outside the box problem. So to solve the problem, and I will show you guys. So to solve the problem, you literally go outside the box up mm. here and over here. Oh, let me get it in the, see over here, you're outside the box. No. Here and here. And here's where our adversaries think. Our adversaries think here and here outside the box. We do our thinking inside the box. And that is the biggest problem right there. Even though I told them right up front, I said, it's about thinking outside the box. And then I give them a box and what do they do? They think inside the box. They don't think. I gave them the answer, you know, right there. And so what happens is the difference is we, we, we can think outside the box. We just can't act outside the box. That's where that d defines the difference between law-abiding citizens and good people and cyber thieves, you know, and criminals. 
right? Uh, to catch a, to catch a killer, you got to think like a killer. Um, I had the chance to interview uh, Dave Reichert, who was the lead investigator for the Green River Killer. 49 women were killed by Gary Ridgway that he was convicted of, another two. You want to catch a serial killer, you can't think like a cop. You have to think like a killer. How do they think? So this is where behavioral science came in. This is where behavior analysis came in. And so uh, to, to go forward to Elon Musk now, that was one of the pre- – I just kind of came up with this on a whim. I was thinking, what could we talk about? And really, I thought about this just a couple minutes before I talked. I said, well, what, what can Elon Musk – and SpaceX teach us about cybersecurity. So one of the first thing, one of the big things Elon Musk did is he just didn't accept things at face value. What is the one big thing, the big difference Elon Musk did between everybody else who was shooting stuff into space? Uh, to reuse it. Reuse the rockets. Bingo. Until then, who else had reused the rockets? They, they, would, they, they might splash down or whatever. His was the first where he said, if we can fire it up, we might. We, why can't we bring it down and land it in the same spot it took off from? Because then, guess what? I don't have to build another booster. I don't have to build another rocket. I simply have to do some maintenance on it, you know, prep it, uh, refuel it. And now my turnaround time has decreased significantly from either that or having to spend billions of dollars building more stuff. I can now simply reuse. That's where the space shuttle came from. Yeah, too. I was going to say that the space shuttle concept was that. Yeah, and guess what? I have a little claim to fame on that because I went to a little cha- high school called Chapman High School in north central Kansas, and the second space shuttle commander, Joe Engel, graduated from our high school. And so I back in the I'm dating myself, back in the 70s, when they were getting when the program was being launched, we actually had Joe Engel come and talk to our class. And that's one of the things they talked about. They said, look, really, um, and he learned this from somebody else too, but getting to space only solves getting you know going into outer space only requires you to solve two problems how to get up there and how to come back safely right but you don't you don't do the first one until you solve for the second one so you don't lift off until you know how to get back but they're simply saying why can't we just have because simply coming back into the atmosphere you know that's really once you get to the point it's nothing but a one huge glider so i think elon kind of took that and but the reason i say that is he thought differently is for too long our terminology has been, how do we respond and recover to attacks? How many times you talk to somebody and say, yeah, we respond and recover? Absolute wrong terminology if you want to stop these attacks from happening. If you want to stop these attacks from happening, then you start thinking differently about the problem. You start funding the problem differently. You start funding the people who are thinking differently about the problem. And you start getting solutions that are actually designed to stop attacks and not just simply, that's like, you know, most people, their definition of respond and recover is say, we have a fire alarm that will tell you that your house has successfully burned down and we'll give you all the telemetry and the details about it. It burned down most gloriously, comrade, you know, I want, I don't want to, I don't want to respond to a fire. I, I will if I have to, but what would I rather do? I would rather stop it from even starting. And if I can't stop it, I want to stop it from spreading. So why do we have sprinklers and stuff? You know, we have a fire alarm, right? But what would I rather have a fire alarm or would I rather have a very robust sprinkler system? Yes. <laughs> no, I would just, like I, to have something that doesn't make the fire start. But see, that's a different conversation. Most of our solutions are fire. You go, you walk around a building, a corporate building, and what do you see in there? You see fire alarms, you see fire sprinklers. The things you see, fire extinguishers, right? But it also gets back into then design of it, right? Have we designed buildings? So they started learning this with earthquakes, right? So you can't build rigid buildings. You actually build buildings that can actually, that can counterbalance and that can move, that can detect sway and, you know, and then counter sway. And so many of the buildings being built now in San Francisco or other places have to have those things in mind. Why? Because they got tired of re- rebuilding buildings. You know, all it takes, 
you know, if you have an oak tree, all it takes is one crack and that oak tree is worthless versus, again, it's an old overuse thing, I know, but it's the willow, right? You can bend but not break. But again, we will not stop the problem of things like these major breaches and ransomware. Why has ransomware not gone away? Why, why, why is ransomware increasing? You know, so because we're thinking about the problem wrong, we're thinking about, I see solutions all the time that go, hey, well, we will help detect it and respond faster. No, dudes, I just, you know, short of nuking the people who are launching the cyber attacks, which are being done in countries we have no extradition treaties with, I just want the stuff to stop. And the minute we start changing the dialogue, we start changing how we think about solving the problem. So I want to talk to you about thinking, because I was joking at the beginning that, uh, are we? You know, the question is: Are we actually thinking? And you're saying we might be thinking, maybe, but we're not acting. And uh, the the difference between the fire example and the earthquake example is that those we may be able to predict them to some degree, but not not very well. But they they kind of look the same. They're not human. They don't have a psychology necessarily mm-hmm. behind them, <clears throat> whereas criminals do, right? And they're gonna do things differently depending on the situation and the context of, of the crime they're, they're trying to perform. So I'm wondering, are we, as you said, it's the difference between thinking and acting and are we able to think of unique ways and just not act or are we, I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm struggling with this because how do we get the brass tacks here? And, and I'll tell you how we get the to brass tacks. We, we changed how leadership thinks about, Here's the problem for too long. I, I used to realize, especially when you work at a place like Alcatel Lucent Bell Labs, where you got people, you know, historic Bell Labs that invented everything from the transistor to the fax machine to the cell phone to Unix and stuff like that. Truly smart people. You've got to get people in leadership positions that realize if you're the smartest person in the room, you're the dumbest person in the room because you need to be hiring people smarter than you. My goal was to make sure I was the dumbest guy in the room. You know why? Because there is no way I can solve these highly technical problems. However, though, One thing I can do is I can sit back and I can look at the problem differently than they do. And I can say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? So, you know, for your example, kind of get back to your example there, Sean, you know, the difference between thinking and acting. And a lot of times, too, we penalize people for acting on their thinking. You know, it's like, well, that's not your job. You know, I'll give you a great case study. Go take a look at the great fire that happened over in the tube system in London. And a lot of that fire was allowed to go on and act. You know why? Because the person who reported, he was told, that's not your problem. That's that, that that belongs to another agency. It's not yours. Don't worry about it. And that fire was allowed to escalate inside underneath a set of escalators and stairs. And this turned into uh, uh, King's Crossing, I think it was. Uh, huge fire. Killed a lot of people. And it could have been stopped except for the hubris and the arrogance of some people in leadership that thought, they know better. Just stay in your lane, bro. I mean, I get tired of hearing this. Just stay in your lane, bro. I'm not talking about doing your job. I'm talking about... If I can think differently than you, and if I can see something you don't, why don't you just take that? But to your point, we're, and I don't even think we're doing enough of enough of thinking. We're not teaching people to be independent thinkers. Um, I hate to use this example, but you know, there is there are certain events that happen sometimes to where we want mass conformity. Well, that's you just need to think the way we do. You need to think the, think the way society does. I just go back to Steve Jobs. If he had built, you know, a, a phone like everybody else wanted, it would have had a stylus. It would have had a plastic keyboard, and we never would have got the iPhone. You know, go back to even Henry Ford. What was his famous line? If I asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. You know, so I think it takes. You got to have some rebels. You got to have some radicals. You have to have some pirates out there that are willing to shake up conventional wisdom 
And, and I'll tell you what, have you ever heard the name Christopher Lockhead? Christopher Lockhead was the chief marketing officer for a company called Mercury when they were sold to HP for four and a half billion. Uh, he lives in California now. But he wrote a book, him and two other guys wrote a book called Play Bigger. And I would highly suggest that you get that. It's about creating categories. And it's about uh, creating categories, thinking differently about the problem. Why do people make tons of money? Because they solve a problem people didn't think could be solved or they solved a problem people didn't know they had. I mean, again, who knew, who knew they needed an iPhone until they needed an iPhone? So here's a follow-up question, Morgan, because how many people can be Steve Jobs? I don't want I don't want everybody to be Steve Jobs, but you know what I want them to do? I want them to be curious like Steve Jobs. I want them to to question things like Steve Jobs and just simply sit back. But you know what? Steve Jobs had the time to do that because he took classes in college that had absolutely nothing to do with technology. But I think we have to encourage people to take risks. That's the other thing we don't do, Sean. I was going to say we don't encourage people to take the requisite amount of risk. We become risk averse. Why? Because we let lawyers define the way that we ought to be. Oh, you can't say that or we can't act like this. Well, there's an old saying that saying that goes rarely, you know, well-behaved women rarely make history, right? The women who have made history have been the Amelia Earhart's of the world, you know, or the uh, 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 Roosevelt, um, just sorry, Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, or the other people. They took risks, you know, Rosa Parks sitting on the back of the bus, sitting at the front of the bus instead of the back back of the bucks. She took a risk. She changed history because she was not willing to conform. I think we've got to stop this mass conformity. We've got to start teaching from grade school on people to be independent, critical thinkers. I think much of the problem we have now is we don't have more Steve Jobs. You know why? Because we're told if you don't color within the lines, you know, how many people got marked off in grade school for coloring outside the lines? So potentially controversial question. Maybe not. I don't know. The role of technology here. A lot of the algorithms and new ways of building technology is to help us automate stuff because mm -hmm. I, I as you were talking earlier i was saying we've we're just robots we, we may think differently but we're acting the same always over and over and over and we're building technology investing in ai and ml and and automation to do the things that we already know how to do would a better investment be made in technologies that think differently for us Yes and no. So I, let me phrase it this way. I think there is a definite role for AI and ML, and there is, because guess what? That's the way the world's going, and we have to automate a lot of things. Why? Because a properly, let's just put it this way, properly constrained program that's executing artificial intelligence correctly. Right now, you know, we have narrow AI, basically dumb AI. We we have not achieved artificial general intelligence, which is the HAL 2000 of Space Odyssey 2001 that thinks for itself that can do stuff. We're not there yet. And God, I hope we never get there either, because I don't want a machine having that much autonomy, you know, to, now we have Skynet, you know, and uh, Arnold coming back from, you know, coming from the future to kill Sarah Connor. Uh, but, but I think, but I think we have to realize too, what are the limitations of humans? Humans, think about this, just, let's talk about just from a ransomware attack, right? Say that I could do two things. One is I could have a human take a look at something going, oh, I see files being encrypted. Oh, I see this happening over here. Okay, here's what we need to do. We've got to now remediate this. We've got to do this. By the time even a human thinks about it, how much ransomware is spread throughout the organization? Uh, you're, you're, you're just, you're screwed at this point, right? Versus if I can automate things to say, recognize things in milliseconds to say this is, and the thing we got to do is quit looking at patterns and behaviors and start looking at, you know, basically, um, let, let me rephrase that. We've got to quit, antivirus, traditional antivirus is dead. Why? Because I need a signature. And if I don't have a signature, I can't match it. Well, by the time you get a signature, 
you know, it's already out there, right? So we have to get back into looking at behaviors. What's a good behavior? What's a bad behavior? And we've got to start doing better at recognizing those things. So I will say what we need um, are more humans on the loop. So there is this thing called the OODA loop. Uh, and most people don't realize where the OODA loop came from. And the OODA loop actually came from the Vietnam War. Colonel Robert Byrd created this because we created the world's most advanced fighter jet, or so we thought. It was called the F-4 Phantom. You know what the F-4 Phantom did not come equipped with as standard equipment? Uh, machine guns. Oh, yeah. Every fighter yeah. plane had machine guns up to that point. And we were getting shot down. Why? Because we lost our skills because we were just flying missiles. We lost the ability to engage in air-to-air -air combat. So observation, orientation, decision, and action. He came up to that and said, this is how you've got to get inside. If you want to defeat the adversary, you've got to get inside their OODA loop. You've got to make them start responding to you as opposed to you responding to them. So I think what we need are more people to start thinking about problems differently. It's the same smart people. We just got to get them thinking differently about the problem. My point is I wasn't the smartest guy in the room with all of those executives at DOJ. I just thought about the problem differently. They were trying to define everything they could share. And I said, let's just define what we can't share. I think that's a much smaller universe. And our problem was solved. Now, being a consultant, I kind of screwed the company out of a lot of money because we could have spent years just defining what you could share, right? <laughs> but no, the point was is to be effective – you know, what's the real solution to the problem? So I just think too many people are selling too much stuff because they want to make it complex. They don't want you thinking for yourself, to your point. Uh, I get tired of hearing companies say, well, you got to do it this way. No, you know, what we need to do is figure out what's the outcome you really need. And if we're not the right solution, then you shouldn't be using us. If we are the right solution, then absolutely you should be using us. But I think we just don't have enough people in leadership positions anymore that are willing to buck the system, that are willing to say, look, I'm going to tell you something right now. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can't tell you I know Elon Musk or Steve, and I will tell you Steve Jobs didn't suffer fools lightly, right? But if you challenge Steve Jobs and you were right, the one thing I do know is that, okay, you know, but a lot, lot of people were afraid to take on the Steve Jobs, you know, and there's not, you know, or the Elon Musk or the, you know, Jeff Bezos. But again, um, I just, to me, it just simply goes back to the problem isn't getting hired into the industry. The problem is what are we teaching people right now in schools that grow up to be these folks that end up being the ones that are working on these problems. And if you've been taught all your life that red is green and green is red, that dude, there is no amount of conversation I'm going to have with you. That's going to get you to change your mind 20 years later after that has been beat into your head for 20 years. War is peace. War is peace. No. Uh, or as Klauswitz said, war is just continuation of politics by other <laughs> means, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, if you hear that long enough, then you don't think in a different way. Um, that's and we desensitize problem. people, to yeah. your point, Mark. We desensitize people as opposed to saying, no, there's a point to where you salute smartly and you say, now I'm part of the team. But behind, especially behind closed doors, leaders should be encouraging people to have a different point of view. What is your point of view and why do you have it? And we got to teach people to defend their point of view, to say, this is my point of view and this is why I think it. Do the research. Just don't say, I found it on Wikipedia. You know, do your own research, come to your own conclusions, challenge this thinking. And, uh, and then when somebody says war is peace, you can go, uh, no, I disagree. And here's why. And then having somebody who can articulate their reasons why they disagree with you. I, I, think, I think I found the issue. I think I found What's the issue. The issue? Well, and, and it goes back to the the thinking versus acting. I, I think I'm with you, Mark Morgan, in that people are able to think, but then they're said, well, that or told that thought doesn't fit within the constraints that we have to operate within. 
and therefore that thinking gets lost. And and I, I believe that too. I mean, you need you can't always count on the rebels, the pirate like Elon or like Steve Jobs and another example. You that at a certain point they have the means to go against the system. You know, maybe they could get a lucky break because they got the finances to do that. I think that there is a lot of people, and not just in the cybersecurity industry, because at this point we're talking about something that is much more general than that, right? I mean, it's, it's a solution, it's a way to look at the problem that we need to apply in every single, you know, and in the medical field as well. You can't just keep thinking that way. You're not going to find a new solution or a cure if you just can't think outside the box. But wherever you look, there is more the idea of don't get outside of the rail, and so all these people that are thinker, they just don't take the courage to, to come up with their idea. We need to, to give more opportunities to people to express themselves. I mean, I want to be positive for once and think that humanity is where we, who we are because eventually there are people that can think outside the box. The point is, are we allowing and, 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 and encouraging them to do so? You know, who, you know who gets encouraged to think outside the box all the time? Criminals, spies, mm-hmm. you know, foreign agents. They, th- this is their job is to think, where are you vulnerable and let me go after it. And I will tell you, that, and that's the, that's the you, you, were, you were hitting it on the head there, Marco. Again, it's one of those old parables, but it's the way you train a, a circus elephant. How do you keep a circus elephant from not moving? And all you got to do is just tie a little rope around its foot. Because you start off with these heavy chains and you constrain them until the point they realize the minute something touches their leg, they can't move. Even though they could, they've now been taught that you can't move, that you can't do this. And I think that's the biggest thing wrong I think we're doing in the in any industry. It's not just technology. It's healthcare. It's law enforcement. It's government. It's teaching. It's to tell people you're wrong, you know, as opposed to you have a different point of view. I'd be interested in hearing what, how do you present your point of view to me and now back it up, argue it. It's almost like getting back into debate, you know, in high school or college, mm-hmm. I have a premise, here's my facts and here's my stuff to support it. Now, can I arrive at the a logical conclusion based upon my premises? Have I supported my argument? I just think, you know, we just don't. And the other thing too is, believe it or not, I think texting is one of the things that is dumbing down society. When's the last time people, I sat at a restaurant one time and watched a group of people and I'm not going to knock ages or whatever else because there are people my age or other sitting around not even sitting across from each other and they're holding a phone and they're texting and a couple times i thought they were texting each other because they both laughed at the same time <laughs> i was gonna make that joke maybe they were just texting you know to i'm each telling other. you if you ever watch if you ever read the car- cartoon dilbert i'm telling you yeah dilbert is a microcosm of what you know <laughs> you know sometimes but you know the other thing too is we've got to laugh at ourselves you know you, you can't yeah. take yourself too seriously but I, I i really think it starts with how we're how we're not allowing people to think anymore, and especially you should be rewarded not for being um, uh, not for being a disruptor and not for being a, a rule flagrant rule breaker. But again, you know, sometimes it's kind of like you know if you do, you know if if you can articulate why you're doing it and your intentions are good, I would hold somebody uh, in higher regard than somebody who just flagrantly broke the rules because I felt like it. You know, well, why did you do it? Well, look, we, we were wrong. Here's why we're wrong, and you lay it out. 
hey, you know, I, I can respect that. But I just think how many people anymore take the time to do their own thinking and their own research? And even during the corporate environment, a lot of these people working in companies, I hear from them all the time. Oh, I'm so slammed. I'm so busy. My God, I'm working on my weekends. How many people do you guys know of that go on vacation and you get a work email from them? Exactly. What is the purpose of vacation then? Yep. You know, I used to, when I sent people on vacation, I would confiscate their laptops. And if I couldn't get to confiscate their laptops because they were in a remote location, I would use the old Microsoft Exchange stuff. I'd see if the message was delivered and if it was opened and I'd do all sorts of stuff. I said, if I catch you working on your vacation, um, we're going to, you won't enjoy the conversation. I'll be nice. I'll be kind. But there is a reason we pay you to go out and recharge your batteries and to refresh because I want you to come back with new ways of thinking. And one of the folks that worked for me took two weeks off. One of the places they visited was Roswell, New Mexico, you know, area 51 UFOs and aliens. And they actually came back with a couple neat ideas, not just, not just from a technology. They said, what if we did marketing like this? And there were a couple brilliant ideals. We ended up ideas. We ended up using why? Cause they, they could not think about work and they could not do a work related thing for two weeks. Yep. Love it. Yep. Well, I think we could, I have a gazillion questions still, but uh, we, we've gone uh, a good, decent amount of time on this conversation. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to refrain from asking them. Perhaps we'll have you on again. Um, I want to say more, and it's uh, refreshing to get your perspective on this. And, um, and Marco's still wrong, regardless of what he thinks about. So I'm just going to put that out. How do you know he's wrong? I'm okay to be wrong. It doesn't, doesn't fit within the box that I've defined. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that that's exactly the thing. We, there should not be fear of failure because if you can't think different and you're afraid of failing, you're never going to get outside the box. So that's the lesson right there. And I think in, with this conversation, we definitely went in a lot of places. So <laughs> we're definitely not thinking inside the box or, or following a script. And uh, I, I always love this kind of conversation. So again, like Sean said, we hope uh, you join us again. Anytime. Um, maybe you can, next time you tell us about your podcast. about that. Game of Crimes, like uh, Game of Thrones, but only Game of Crimes, evil is coming. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software as a service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.
Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG 24.